guys a pretty festive day here. Uh, Martin, we just had uh, Coptic Christians holding hands up at the front of the stage here. feel if, if you if you kind of were tracking with that you had a group of christians this is in egypt in early 2011 there was some political uprising um you had a group of christians in the in the center square there that were holding hands kind of lock arms protecting a group of muslims who were bowed in prayer to allah how does that make you feel i mean when i watch that i am in constant turmoil about how I feel. I think, man, that is awesome that these Christians would do that and protect. And then I think, man, there's a Muslim. They're praying to a, what we believe is a false God, not the same God that we believe in. So should we protect them and allow them to do that? And So let me just kind of flip it because maybe we don't understand. What would it look like? How would it change the way that you feel if it was a group of white people holding hands and there was a group of black people in the middle? How would it change if it was a group of black people holding hands and it was a group of white people in the middle? These are scenes from our nation's history. What would it do for you? How would it change how you feel if it was a, a group of heterosexual couples holding hands, protecting a group of homosexual couples? Anybody feel uncomfortable right now? I mean, when I watch this, I am ripped at the seams about how am I supposed to feel about that? What am I supposed to think about that? How would I have responded if I was there in that place in Egypt in early 2011 and I saw what was playing out in front of me? And it wasn't just the Muslims that were being persecuted. It was Christians. And there, there are other scenes where Muslims were trying to help protect Christians. And, and really more than anything, human beings were trying to protect other human beings in that moment for their life. How am I supposed to feel about that? What's my response? And maybe I'm not in Egypt in early 2011. Maybe I'm here in 2012. And now I have to decide how I'm supposed to respond when I encounter people who are different than me. Who believe differently than I do. Who look differently than I do. Who, for all intents and purposes, are different than I am. What's my response supposed to be? How am I supposed to respond? You know, we live in... This culture of tolerance. We live in this culture and in this world right now where you're supposed to tolerate everything and be tolerant of everything, except, interestingly enough, the people who are intolerant. Like, you're not supposed to tolerate them. You're supposed to tolerate all people, but the people that are intolerant don't tolerate them. Cast them out. 
not really sure how that works. But anyway, and so we as Christians sometimes are categorized as these intolerant people because in a culture that says everything is okay and everything is truth and nothing is absolute and you believe what you want to believe and I believe what I want to believe. And then I open my Bible to John fourteen six that says, I am the only way. Jesus talking here. I am the only way to get to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in me. That's the only way to get to God the Father. And when I preach that or I proclaim that, now I'm intolerant to anybody that doesn't believe that. Sometimes we look at other religions. I mean, I even just declared a moment ago that we believe that Muslims and those that are praying to Allah or praying to some other God are praying to what we believe is a false God, not the true Jehovah God of the Bible. And so there may be some of you in this room that you, you hear me say that and it makes you uncomfortable because you can't believe that I would be willing to say, how can I know that I'm right and they're not? Or maybe you look at other people of other ethnicities and, and you look at them and you, you, you see that, man, there are differences. Why can't I feel those differences and why can't I talk about those differences and proclaim those differences and make, make statements about that? Today we're going to talk about prejudice. And we're jumping back into Ephesians, which we've kind of charted that we're going to track through the book of Ephesians all year. But before we get to this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, I just want to define prejudice so we know what we're talking about all day. Prejudice is, is two things as we're, we're looking at it here. It's defined in two separate ways, and one is right there in the word. Prejudice means to prejudge someone. So you look at them and you prejudge them. You prejudge who they are, what they're about, their identity, their purpose in life based on something before you've ever gotten to know them. You're prejudging them. The second thing that you could look at and define prejudice as is to make some type of, uh, to form a judgment or opinion, to make some opinion about these people before you have knowledge or the facts about them. So I look at someone and before I ever really know them or know the facts about them or their life, I am forming an opinion or making a judgment about them without really getting the facts about who they are and what they are and what the circumstances are. I'm guilty of this. If I, I mean, so many times I look at someone and I, I prejudge them. I see them and I make some type of judgment or, 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 or thing that I think is, okay, that's who they are. That's what they're about because of the way they're dressed or who they are, what they look like or where they're from. Or if I'm not careful, I, I, I quickly run into that. And that's prejudice. So I want us to look to Ephesians chapter 3. Like I said, we've been tracking with Ephesians since we launched in January here, this new campus. And we, we tracked there for a couple of months. And we got closer to Easter. And we, we paused that Ephesians study for a little while. And we did a, a, an Easter deal. And then we jumped into a series called God Quest. And um, then we kind of did a few other little things. And now we're run, jumping back into Ephesians. We're going to track this for the next few weeks. And Ephesians chapter 3, let me just set the stage here for Ephesians if you haven't been with us the whole time. Ephesians is a book written by the Apostle Paul. He is a, a great, uh, he writes a great portion of the New Testament. And Paul is writing to the church at the city of Ephesus, thus the name Ephesians. Many of his writings are named after the people that he's writing to. So he's writing to the church in Ephesus, which is a city, and he's writing to them from prison. He is in prison in Rome. Okay, so he's writing from prison to these people in Ephesus. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, as if you hadn't heard any of the other parts of the first two chapters, he tells us why he's, why he's in prison. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. You could stop right there and actually say his physical, literal circumstances. He's not a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's a prisoner for Rome. 
He is in prison in Rome, but we'll talk about that in a minute. The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, he's in prison in Rome for the sake of the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are all of the non-Jewish people in the world, primarily. that's, That's how we're defining them. In the Old Testament, you saw that God set apart the Jewish people. And we we started with Abraham, and God made a covenant with him. and, And there was a covenant that he was going to establish a nation and a people through the lineage of Abraham. And so we had these people. And much of the Old Testament after that just tracks these people and and their law being established and their geography being established and who they were and what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. And we're tracking through their story pretty good. And every now and then we would hear about the Gentile people or the other nations that they would interact with. We get to the New Testament and through the, through the Gospels, we, we see sporadic instances of, of the, these Gentile people, these non-Jewish people, and how they interact with Jesus or his ministry. And we get to the middle, uh, about a third of the way through the book of Acts, and really the Gospel is awakened to the Gentiles. And now we have Paul, after this happening, writing back to a church that contains both Jews and Gentiles. All right, so I want you to think about this. This is kind of hard sometimes to to get yourself in this mindset. But imagine, and and I've used this example in this series when I've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, if you're sitting in this room and there were someone sitting here in this room, a part of your church that you have grown up to understand is completely different from you and not worthy or, or, or subject to the blessings and favor and honor of God. So you're sitting in this room now And the way you've been raised or what you've read or what you've heard is that this certain group of people is not the same as you. And yet they're here now. And Paul or Pastor Jeremy is preaching that we're all the same. And Paul is writing to them, to all of them, all the church, the Jews and the Gentiles, to really help unpack this idea a little further. So he's saying, listen, I am in jail for preaching, but not just that, for preaching to the Gentiles, which is still a relatively new Deal. Let's look at verse 2. So surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Talking about the Gentiles. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly in the first few chapters of Ephesians. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5 which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So let me just stop right here and kind of help us see what we're talking about. He's saying, there is a truth now that God has revealed to us, and he's revealed it to me. Paul talking, he's revealed it to me. And it is that, and we're going to get to this in verse 6, that the, the gospel is now available to you Gentiles. And there were generations before that did not understand this. Now, in Isaiah, which is a prophet in the Old Testament, and in Jeremiah, it refers to God being available to the Gentile nations. There's also several references in the Old Testament about God's blessing through the Jews of the Gentile nations, of all the nations of the world. But this is Paul saying here, listen, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has revealed to me and to the apostles and to the prophets this mystery. And this is the the whole series we're going to track with for several weeks, this mystery, this idea of mystery. But it's not mystery like you and I read a mystery novel or we watch a movie that's a mystery necessarily because it's not something that you can't know. It's always been there. This idea of mystery is really that it's something that hasn't been fully known until God reveals it to us. Until God makes known this plan for you and I, 
Or this plan for the Gentile people. That's the kind of mystery we're talking about. So it's not something that's completely hidden. It's just something that is not completely understood without the revelation of God. And so some of you, you're tracking in life right now. You're walking through your life and you're trying to figure out what's my purpose, what's my plan, what's my job, what's my vocation, who am I going to marry, where am I going to go to school? Or maybe I've done those things and I hated all those choices, so now how do I fix it? And you're trying to find the, the plan of God. And let me say to you that maybe it's available to you right now. Maybe, maybe it's there. But it needs the revelation of God, the, the awakening, the opening of your eyes for you to fully see it. It doesn't mean that you just kind of walk blindly. You follow the biblical pattern of, of kind of looking for God, looking for his presence. The Old Testament people, the, the Jewish people, the children of Israel were in the, the desert when they came out of Egypt, out of captivity. And what were they t- told to do by God? Listen, you, you just kind of be in the desert. And when, when the cloud moves or this pillar of fire moves, you move with it. And whenever it stops, you stop. And I really believe that that's kind of what we're supposed to do in life as we follow God. We, we look for the tangible signs of God's presence and his power and what he's leading us to do and the things that he may be saying to us through his scripture, through worshipful moments, through his word, whatever we look to. And, and we, we listen for God's voice. And when we, we hear that and we see it, we respond and take a step and we continue to look for God. I think that's, that's all we can do. And so this is, this is kind of the revelation of God. This is the mystery revealed to us. And so let's look at verse 6. This is, like if, if we just stopped right here, this is the mystery. Like end of story. I don't know if you ever watched Murder, She Wrote, but you don't have to watch all 60 minutes to get there. Like we're getting it in verse 6, all right? Nobody watch Murder, She Wrote? That's okay, just my grandmother? Okay, cool, all right. Verse 6. This is the mystery, verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now you read that, some of you, and you go, great, what's verse 7 say? No, 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 let's stop right here. This shakes the foundation of the world as we know it in this context. And unless you are Jewish in this room, this makes the gospel available to you and to me. This is what the mystery, this mystery that has been known and it's been a part of the world and the atmosphere and it's been out there, but it's now being revealed through God, through the spirit of God to Paul and to the prophets and the apostles. It's been recorded here so that we can read it now in 2012 is the idea that you and I, through the gospel, are heirs together with Israel, with God's chosen people, his covenant people, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now again, some of you are sitting here and you, you can't even fathom what the difference is in Jews and Gentiles. So let's just say for you right now, you're sitting there. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand unless you want to. And then we're all going to point and laugh at you, okay? You in your own heart, mind, whatever, just sit there and you decide. Who is the person or group of people that I have the hardest time loving. Pastor referenced this at the end of the message last week. Who are they? I mean, when I see them, I assume immediately I'm better than them. Who is it? Is it, is it an ethnicity? Is it, is, it, is it the homosexual like we were talking about earlier? Is it that person that, that's in the news right now, that agenda, those things that are happening? Is it, is it that? And I look at that and I go, man, they're, they're dirty, they're sinful, I'm better than that. Is it, is it some, is it, is it Muslims? Is it Hindus? Is it Catholics? Is it, uh, what, is it Jews? Is it whoever? 
Who, who is it that you immediately look at and you have no trouble in your heart going, yeah, they're, they're wrong and I'm right. So let's revise verse 6. Okay? Let's revise it. This is not in Scripture, so please don't call me a heretic. That's why there's not going to be a Scripture reference, even though this is all but two of the same words that we just read in verse 6. This is the Jeremy translation, okay? This is what it says in the revised version of, of verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the fill in the blank with whoever you just thought of, are heirs together with me, members together of one body with me, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus with me. Who is it? Who do I struggle to see and see myself as the same as them? Is it the homeless guy that's asking for money on the edge of the interstate? I mean, is it, is it, who is it? Who have I prejudged? Who have I made assumptions about as groups of people or someone individually that I am now prejudicing or showing that prejudice towards because I am prejudging them? I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on them, that I'm, I'm better than them, that I deserve the grace of God. I'm heirs of God. I'm heirs of the promise of God. I'm partakers in the promise of God. I'm a part of the body of, of Christ, the family of God, but they're not. Guess what Paul's saying to the people in Ephesus? Maybe they didn't think the same words. All they had to do if they were Jews was think Gentiles. And it carried the same negative connotation that some of you feel now in the tension that I'm talking about. Because some of you are now rationalizing. Surely he's going to resolve this in a minute and tell me, no, some of those people really are dirty, rotten sinners. Because that's what the Jews were thinking. I'm sure when they're reading the letter here from Paul, they're thinking, yeah, we get that. But there's some things they got to do before they're actually heirs here. I mean, if you're a Jewish man sitting in the room has been circumcised, you're thinking some of the other men in the room have got to get circumcised before they are co-heir equal with me. That's a big deal. That's a part of the tradition. I had to do it. They got to do it. And if they don't have to do it, it's not fair. And I don't think the gospel's real. I don't know how they... I'm just thinking that's probably what some of them were working through. They didn't have to keep the law. They didn't have to go to temple when they were a kid. What happened to all the things I was supposed to do? And see, you and I are guilty of that sometimes because we look at someone else and we see their story and their story of faith. And we see that on their deathbed, I don't know if you've ever thought this, I'm pretty unholy. If someone like receives Christ and then dies, I'm thinking, wow, they got out pretty easy. (laughs) Nobody else has ever thought that? That's totally fine. I get that. I get that. You're thinking, thank you. I got one one honest person in the room and I'm pretty sure it was Britt Henderson. (laughs) No, but here's the deal. I mean, we look at these people... Whoever they are, we look at them and we say, they're not having to do the same thing I'm having to do. They're not, they're not as worthy as I am. I mean, they can go to my church. That's fine. They can sit on the other side over there. They got curtains for reasons. I'm sure there's people sitting back there that are quarantined from something. You know, like, they can go to my church, right? But they're not the same as me. They're different than me. They're not the same. They're different. No. Whoever your fill-in-the-blank is, is co-equal heir with you through the gospel to the promises of Christ Jesus. And I don't know if that does anything to you, but I'm telling you, when I read this and when I'm putting this together, I'm thinking, man, that hurts my feelings. Man, that hurts me. Man, that is hard to swallow sometimes. 
Because I don't want to be a mean, prejudiced person, but there are people that I look at and I have to really get my heart in check to make sure that I live out this mystery revealed. Let's jump from Ephesians chapter 3. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 10 for a minute. Acts chapter 10 is this really cool story. I referenced it a second ago when I said about a third of the way through the book of Acts, the gospel changed. Not changed, but it was, it was awakened to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, you have this really cool story. You're, you're referenced right up front to this man named Cornelius. He is a centurion. He's a part of the Roman infantry. He's a part of the army of Rome. What would be amazing is if he or someone in his ranks actually had a part of like arresting Paul down the line. I mean, this is amazing that we see this interplay here. But Cornelius, it says, was a God-fearing man. He prayed to God. He gave to the poor. And, and what happens here is he has this, this vision of God from God. And in that vision, he is supposed to send some guys, and he sends his trusted, faithful servants here, to go to uh, this city where uh, Peter is at. Peter is another mem member here of the early church. He was a part of the disciples uh, that kind of walked with Jesus. He was the one that denied Jesus. And then he stood up on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit came down and, and preached. And 3,000 were added to the church. Really cool guy. Really cool story. And he plays a big part in, in, in part of the book of Acts. And so he is uh, at another in another area. And so Cornelius in his vision is told, send some guys and get Peter. And here's where Peter's at. He's at this guy's house near the sea. And, and, and that guy is a tanner. Not like he lays in a tanning bed. Like he tans leather and hide. And go to his house, get Peter. He's there and bring him back. Okay. At the same time, Peter is on the roof of this guy's house. And he's up there just kind of really hungry. Waiting on whoever prepares the food to prepare some food because he's hungry. And he has a vision. And in this vision, this big blanket, this big cloth drops from heaven and there are all kinds of animals on there. There's reptiles and there's these four hooved animals. And, and the, the voice of God speaks to Peter and says, you're hungry, eat this food. And Peter, who is a good Jewish man, right? He's a good Jewish man. He thinks about the law, the law of the Old Testament, this Levitical law, and he thinks there are some animals, some things that I'm not supposed to eat. And some of them are the four hooved animals and the reptiles and some of the other things. And so he looks at those things in his vision on there and says, you know, Lord, that I would not eat something that's unclean. And the voice speaks back to him. God speaks to Peter and says, how dare you? This is, this is my translation. How dare you say that something that I have made clean is unclean? So I want you to think right now. If you're 30, 40, 50, 60, there's something you've known all your life. Four-hooved animals, unclean. Reptiles, unclean. Don't eat them. And then this voice of God says to you, no. How dare you call that unclean when I've called it clean? I mean, that's got to freak you out a little bit. You're thinking, this is not God. I really am just hungry, right? There's something happening here that I don't know that this is God. Immediately he wakes from the vision and the three men from Cornelius' house are looking for him. And, and God even tells him, hey, wake up. The guys are here. What guys? And, and so here's the story. They say, hey, come with us. And Peter says, yep, I, I heard about this. This is what I'm supposed to do. He goes to Cornelius' house. And when he shows up, Cornelius is having a party. Like he's invited the whole family because Peter's going to come and it's going to be a big deal. And so Peter walks in and listen to this in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. 
This is what he says. He said to them, to the whole crowd, okay? You are well aware that it is against our law, Jewish law, for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, is that what God said? Or did Peter understand through revelation, which Paul referred to here, that this is what it's about? So he's saying to this group of Gentiles, listen, me even being here is against the law. It's against the Jewish law that I should even do this. And so he asked Cornelius, he said, hey, why am I here? And, and Cornelius starts to unpack that for him and, and, and talks to him about why he's to come. And, and they want to hear this message and all that. And listen again, this is Peter again talking in verse 34 through 36. And he says this, then Peter began to ask, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I want to listen to that right there, that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then Peter unpacks the gospel. And I think I've said unpack 12 times already today. He opens up the gospel for them. And in about six verses, he tells the entire gospel story. And Cornelius and all of his family members eventually began speaking in tongues. They respond in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working through them. And Peter looks at some of the other guys that were with him and, and he says, hey, they're no different than us. Who, who's to say that these guys should not be baptized to publicly profess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of their life? These Gentiles who... Peter had just said, listen, me even being here is against the law. It's against the Jewish law that I would even be in your house and associate with you and visit you. You're just like me. God's working in you. What you're doing right there, responding to God and allowing the Spirit to use you, that's the same thing I do. And who am I to say that if God is doing that in you, that I shouldn't treat you with respect? That I shouldn't look at you as the same as me? Maybe, maybe we're the same. And so maybe you've never been in that moment. Maybe you've never been at your Cornelius's house, whoever that people group that you struggle with. Maybe you've never been there in that house, in that presence with those people for whatever reason. Your choice, their choice has just never happened. But this morning, maybe it's enough for me to say to you that you don't even have to go there to know that they're the same as you. They're exactly the same as you. And you know what they are the same in? That through the gospel, not apart from the gospel, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, you and them are heirs together of the promises of Jesus Christ. You are a part of one body, not two separate bodies, not, not Jews and Gentiles, not you and them, not us and them, not those people and my people, one body. All together receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, the linchpin in all of this is through the gospel. That phrase, through the gospel. It doesn't mean that every single person that you see is going to heaven. It doesn't mean that every single person that you see, that you should accept their sinful lifestyle. And I'm not trying to give us an out here. You should be kind to everyone 
and not fake kind. You should be loving and caring to everyone and not in some kind of false way. You should not, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, I think, but you are not allowed through the gospel to look at those who do not call themselves believers and judge them as if you are their judge. You judge those who say they're Christians and live contrary to that. Which means that I'm supposed to look at someone that I say I'm in relationship and community with who is living contrary to what they say they believe that is a relationship with Jesus Christ, accepting the grace and mercy and living in a way that honors him. If I see in you that you don't live that way, I'm supposed to call you out on that. But if I see someone who doesn't call themselves a believer, they're just living in this world and they have not yet found the grace and mercy of God. I am called to love them with the same love that I've received when I did not deserve it. I'm called to show grace and mercy to them as Paul was right here talking about. I'm an agent of the grace and mercy of God to the Gentiles. He's sitting in prison on behalf of a group of people he had been taught all of his life were different and wrong and in the wrong and not blessed by God. And now he's sitting in prison on their behalf. What does that look like for you? But here, here's, here's kind of the, the tension here, okay? As if there weren't enough. I believe that there are some things that we as Christians should be prejudiced about. I do. I think there's about four and maybe there's 40 more that I don't have here, but we're going to throw these on the screen. And I think that these four things that if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a believer, you should be prejudiced about these things. You should you should believe in these things and respond in this way. And here's the first one. The first thing that you should be prejudiced is that all people are made in God's image. You should never let anything change all people. It's what scripture says. That everyone is made in the image of God. The second thing that you should believe and you should be prejudiced about, hold to, is that all people are sinners. Not all of them, all of us are sinners. We read in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one of us who is exempt from this idea. All people are sinners. Number three, all people need Jesus Christ because he's the only savior of the world. All sinners, all of us need Jesus Christ as our savior. And the fourth thing is this, that all people are to be treated in Christ's love and have an equal right to Christ through the gospel. And here's what I think this looks like when you flesh this out, when you really live this out, you know what it looks like? It looks like you holding hands, defending and protecting people you don't agree with. I'm not saying you get down and pray to a false God. I'm not I'm saying that you through the love of Christ are showing the love of Christ to other people. I'm not trying to be controversial today. Please hear my heart through the gospel. But some of us have seen that. And maybe you, you've heard this idea that I'm supposed to love the sinner but hate the sin. And we just can't figure out how to do that without hating the sinner. Guess what? We are called to love. And here's the Here's the reality. They're no different than me. Maybe their sin or their issue or their thing or their identity. or Maybe, maybe it is that something looks different or, or, or acts different. Or maybe I was, I was taught or somebody said this or somebody, and it's always kind of stuck with me. But listen, we are all the same. 
We are all in need of the grace and mercy of God. And here is what I've kind of boiled this down to as one sentence. And you may disagree with this. If you show prejudice towards someone else, you prejudge them, you make an assumption about them, you treat them in a way that is contrary to the love and grace and mercy of God, you actually reveal your need for the gospel. It is not acceptable. Ever. And you reveal your heart. You reveal a heart that says, yes, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I love God, but there are people that God loves that I don't love. And I don't believe those two can coexist in your heart. Doesn't mean it's going to flip the switch today. It means that you have to give that to God and pray and seek Him and continually just kind of purge your heart of the things that don't honor and please Him. We are all the same. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Here, here's, here's what Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, really 1 through 7 tell us. It tells us that there is this mystery that's now revealed, and you and I are partakers in this mystery. It's that we now have access to the grace of God, to the mercy of God. And love of Jesus Christ. And if you ever try to live. As if you were the first one to the party. And everybody else showed up after you. And so you're more deserving. You need to go check yourself. We are all equal. We are all needing. Of the grace of God. Galatians chapter 3 sums it up really well. And this is. A part of a larger story, but it says this in Galatians 3 verse 28. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Guess what? God is good. And out of his goodness, he loved us when we were unlovable. And he extended grace to us when we were sinful. He extended to us mercy that we did not deserve. He forgave our sins which were an abomination to him. No matter how big or little you think your sin issue was, it was sin. It was separation from God. God, out of his great mercy, loved us because he is good. So my hope today is that maybe when you leave, you're not mad at me, but if you are, it's okay. My hope is that when you leave this place, that there is something that's happening in your heart. If you do struggle with this idea, it just awakens to the glory and power and mercy and grace and love of God. That I need Him just as much as they do. We need Him. And because He gave Himself to us, we can all know Him. Now and in the future. 
His promises are available to us all. Those people that were bowing to Allah in Egypt in early 2011, being protected by this group of Christians because they were defending other human beings who others were trying to kill, those people bowed on their knees, need to respond to God, to Jehovah God. And one day their knee will bow, Scripture tells us. But we pray that here on this earth they respond to Him. They seek His love and His grace. and They're they're just confronted by it. And maybe they saw the love of God in the outstretched, clutched hands of some of His followers. And my question to you today is this. What about your life reveals the goodness of God to those that are not like you? Maybe it's not outstretched, clutched hands encircling a group of people praying to someone that you believe is a false god. But maybe it's somebody on your job that doesn't believe like you. They're living a sinful lifestyle and you you see that. It shouldn't infuriate you as much as break your heart. And so how do you respond to them to reveal the goodness and the love of God? What is your action that represents the goodness of God? Maybe it's to your kids that have walked away from the Lord. And man, it does break your heart. What is your response to them that reveals the goodness and love of God? Maybe it's to a spouse that's gone wayward. What is your response to them that reveals the goodness and love and mercy of God? What is your response to those that you may not know very well or those that you may not have interacted with very well, but they are living things that are contrary to what you believe? They're in lifestyles. They've got habits or addictions or choices that you don't believe in. What is your action? That reveals the goodness and glory and love of the Heavenly Father who somewhere in your past used someone to reveal himself to you. What is your response to show the goodness of God? The band's going to play and sing. I invite you just to kind of check your heart. Just look inside yourself and figure out what it is that God is working in you to say what needs to be changed, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be given to him, what needs to be purged and cleaned. And we're going to come back and pray. Your kindness leads me to repentance.